If the government were ever to digitize currency, your freedoms would evaporate. They could zero out your bank account and make you impoverished for being disobedient. You would be a serf at best. And with that in mind, you should know that central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, are about to become the norm in Europe. The president of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, has just said that Europeans will not be able to use more than $1,000 in cash anymore. Now we have in Europe this threshold above 1,000 euros, you cannot pay cash. If you do, you're on the gray market. So you take mm -hmm. your risk. You get caught, you are fined, or you go in jail. So you go to jail for spending your own money if they don't control it. That's coming here. Tulsi Gabbard has spoken out against it. She, of course, ran for president, served in the House from Hawaii, and joins us now. Congressman, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Tucker. Do, do, this is so dystopian. You'd hate to think it could ever come here. You think it might. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, this is just the latest effort by those in power in our country who are intent on undermining and taking away our own freedoms and liberties. This, this central bank digital currency is about government-sanctioned surveillance and control. It's about them being able to keep track of every single thing that we purchase, whether it's a stick of gum or an automobile or anything in between. And so if they have all this inf information and data, which they will in this system, then where does that lead? It gives them the power to decide, okay, well, hey, we don't want to allow you to purchase certain things or we may deem it necessary to, to freeze your overall account. Uh, this power and, and what they can do with it, it's not something we have to imagine. We've already seen how Democrats in Congress, Elizabeth Warren and others, are pressuring credit card companies to code and keep track of any purchase that's made at a store that sells firearms. Why? So that these private companies can then say, hey, this person is purchasing, I don't know what, what they deem is kind of the threshold, but they will then report that as suspicious activity to law enforcement and then expect law enforcement to take action and go after the purchases, legal, legal purchases that a private person made. So this all comes back to, to how you open this. Once we give up our economic autonomy, we no longer have freedom. Once we allow someone else to control our wallet, they then control our freedom. Do you think people understand what this means? It'll be sold, as always, as an effort to push back against terrorism or international financiers or crime or whatever. But do, do people understand on a gut level what, what could be coming? I, I don't think they do. And, and it's understandable because if you listen to what the government is telling us, like with all of these other things, whether it's the Patriot Act or the Restrict Act, they're doing the very same thing with this, saying, hey, this is for your own good. This is for your convenience, to make it easier for you to conduct transactions uh, when, in fact, they are giving themselves all of the power, uh, taking it away from us, undermining our God-given rights and freedoms in the Constitution uh, because they want to be able to control us. They want to be able to control we the people. So nicely put. Tulsi Gabbard joining us tonight. Thank you so much for that. Thanks, Tucker. Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel to catch our nightly opens, stories that are changing the world and changing your life. From Tucker Carlson tonight. Welcome to the Eric Metaxas Show. Now we get dessert. John Zmirak, welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. 
All right, look, we got to talk about a lot of stuff, but why don't we just start talking about Nefarious, the film. Our friend Steve Dace uh, created this film, Nefarious. Uh, you have reviewed the film at stream.org, have you not? That's right. I'm, I'm going to do something slightly unethical now. Um, as a wannabe and failed screenwriter, I'm going to praise a project that I had absolutely nothing to do with. Oh, and come on. I don't get any benefit from it whatsoever. Nevertheless, I regret to say that Steve Deese has done a fantastic job and that this film, from which I received no benefit whatsoever, uh, is absolutely fantastic. I, I endorse it heartily. You sent me a preview screener. Yeah. I got my girlfriend to come over. We watched it on the computer, which is not the super fun way to watch it. I was going to say, that's how I watched it, and that's how Albin watched it. Yeah. But and by the way, it's pronounced Dace. Don't ask me why. Okay. But Steve Dace, uh, in creating this film, I mean, to get you, you're finicky, to yeah. get me, I'm finicky, to get Albin, he's finicky. You know, we're honest with each other about whether we like something. We all were thrilled to see how good this was. But we're here to ask you for yeah. specifics. So go yeah. ahead. In my review, I talk about the three kinds of the three levels of Christian or Christianish films uh, that that you see. The first ones are the ones that are obviously well-meaning, but just flat. Uh, they're they're didactic, they're preachy, or they're just mindlessly inspirational. Oh, look, someone adopted a puppy! Yay! And they mentioned Jesus twice. Yay, drag the whole school group. Uh, or they, they don't want to they don't want to face real evil. Like the worst evil is daddy might drink too much. Um, they're just they're kind of like Hallmark films with a few Bible verses scattered among them. Uh, so that this is not that kind of movie. Um, then you get movies which are sort of flawed gems. Like they have one great performance or they're really well-written, or they're beautifully filmed, but they didn't have the budget to get that level of professionalism on every aspect of the film. Uh, and so you see it as kind of a lost opportunity, or you're kind of you, you wish that filmmaker had had more of a budget. This is not that kind of movie. And then there's a third kind of Christian movie, which is really well done, really intelligent, really thoughtful, and then is distributed incompetently. By, by companies that are too cowardly to say, this is a pro-life film, this is a Christian film. And so they go nowhere. Uh, three examples of movies I, I would like uh, recommend. One of them is Voiceless. It's about an Iraq war veteran who comes back, traumatized with PTSD, and he gets involved in the pro-life movement, and that is how he finds healing. That was a fantastic movie that nobody saw. I, I, I didn't even hear about that film. When did that come out? Like four years ago. Okay, so Voiceless, you're recommending. Yes, absolutely. But is it is it uh is it fiction or is yeah, it it's fiction. It's fiction. Okay, but it's called Voiceless and you Voiceless. recommend it. All right. Yeah, and it's possible to stream it. Another example of that is by the famous filmmaker Agnieszka Holland, the movie. Ah. Mr. Jones. Uh, Mr. Jones is the story of the Ukrainian famine and its cover up by the mainstream media. And it went nowhere. Nobody saw it when, in fact, it should have had the impact of Schindler's List. Ladies and gentlemen, we've talked about John and I have talked about this film, Mr. Jones, innumerable times on the program. 
I know Agnieszka Holland. I emailed with her. When I saw that film, I thought to myself, when did this come out? This is like one of the greatest films I've ever seen. One of the most powerful films I have ever seen made at a level of filmmaking. It doesn't really get better. It is genius filmmaking. Glorious. Uh, You know, to say that it's uh, powerful, it's unbelievably powerful. When I looked it up on Box Office Mojo and whatever and realized that it had not done well at all, I said, how is it possible? How could a film this great, I don't mean this good, I mean this great, not have done extraordinarily well? It ought to have won the Oscar. It ought to have won Oscars, folks. No exaggeration. It's that good. Mr. Jones, uh, John, uh, thanks for bringing that up. And here's a third film you probably never heard of called Gimme Shelter. Did you ever hear of that one? Well, I've, I, I, I've, I've heard of the Stones song. Do I know the film? I think you mentioned this film at some point in one of our conversations. It's an incredibly well-made, powerful film about one of the most valuable movements in America that nobody talks about. People who run crisis pregnancy centers. Yes. And Gimme Shelter is all about a woman with a crisis pregnancy who gets kicked to the curb by the father, gets rejected by society and finds shelter and welcome for herself and her child's new life in a crisis pregnancy center. Gimme Shelter. It was incredibly powerful and beautiful. And again, nobody saw it because they they didn't want to present it as a pro-life film because that might alienate people. It's so stupid. Well, the, these distributors get hold of these films. And, and my friend Jason Jones said it's like making a Tyler Perry movie and purposely not letting black audiences know about it and, and showing it only on the Upper East Side and, you know, in, in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and hoping that it will go from the elite audience to what should be its core audience, when in fact it's the opposite. You sell to the core audience, and then if it becomes a hit, other people see it. So, again, Voiceless, Mr. Jones, and Gimme Shelter are three fantastic movies I wanted to recommend on the way to saying that Nefarious is in the same category of excellence. Uh, here's how I describe it. I, when I saw another movie by Agnieszka Holland called The Third Miracle, very powerful movie about the Catholic Church, I said, seeing a film that takes religion seriously, that takes faith, Christianity seriously, it's like imagine you went through your whole life and in all the movies, gravity didn't apply. Every movie you see, people can fly through the air. They fall on the floor. Nothing happens. They're all like the Matrix. And finally, for the first time in your life, you see a movie where objects, if you let them go, fall to the ground. And if people fall out of buildings, they go splat and they die. You would go, wow, this is the most amazing movie ever. A well-made Christian film has something of that feeling like, right. oh, Wow, the laws of physics depicts it on film. Didn't know this was possible. Nefarious has a lot of that power. I, I don't want to spoil the plot too much, but um, well, John, I want to I want to uh, uh, bring this up because I think it's yeah. related. Um, uh, 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 most people know Roman Polanski made a film um, in the late 
60s with with Mia Farrow and John Cassavetes called Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby, uh, which is a great film, scary film. It takes place here in New York. It does everything you want one of these Christian films to do. It portrays evil, da, 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 on and on and on and on. What it doesn't do, which is what makes it profoundly flawed, is at the end, the most natural thing ever would be for this frightened young woman, Mia Farrow plays, to turn to God in some way. It would just be the most natural thing. So when that doesn't happen, you feel like I want to remake this whole movie because it's kind of like they chopped off the ending. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make sense. So sometimes Hollywood inadvertently portrays the spiritual world, but they tend not to have the answer. Uh, Here's another example. The movie, the apostle with Robert Duvall, very powerful about a, a preacher who I think kills his wife has a conversion and becomes a sincere apostle of Christianity. But they cut out the conversion scene. Are you sure about that? I think you're wrong. No, no, no. I've read articles about it. They filmed the scene where you see him get convicted, and then they they took it. They left it on the cutting room floor. The the one thing I'll say, we're going to a break. The one thing I'll say is The Apostle with Robert Duvall is a very good film. I recommend it. But we're going to be back with John Smirak talking about Nefarious, which is out this weekend. Got to see it. We'll be right back. with John Zmirak. We're talking about film. Uh, Nefarious uh, comes out this weekend. We hope everyone will see it. John, you and I are talking about other films. You just talked about a film that uh, really was a terrific film. Robert Duvall made and starred in The Apostle. Uh, Farrah Fawcett uh, is in that. Um, So this was made, I don't know, 12 years ago. But he had to fund the whole thing himself because Hollywood is so allergic to doing any kind of faith films. Here's a guy, what, you talk about credentials, Robert Duvall in The Godfather, uh, in, in in so many great films, he could not get, he had to put up you know, his own money to make this film, The and Apostle. It came, it came out a very powerful film, but they did cut out a segment where you see his conversion. And I think it would have been more powerful with it. I'm sure. When I saw the film, I wasn't sure in the second half of the film if he was taking it if this was just an, an effort to find a new life. And I, I didn't know because they had cut out that scene. Similarly in I Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash movie. Oh, man. They cut out all the Christianity. It's like doing the story of John, was it John Newton, the former slave trader who wrote Amazing Grace? Yeah. And you take Christianity out of it. And he just yeah. gets awakened to social justice somehow. Yeah, somehow. It becomes well, a the Johnny Cash movie, Walk the Line, you know, it's a good movie, but it is shocking that the whole center of his story is about how his wife, June Carter Cash, who is a Christian, helps him find Jesus, which 
helps him to kick drugs and alcohol. I mean, the man was a mess and it was Jesus and only Jesus that saves him from that hell. They managed to make the film with uh, uh, what's his name? Jaquin. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin brilliant Phoenix. Somehow they make the film and they leave that out. And you're thinking, you've got to be kidding me. They did the How same do you- thing with Eric Little's story. Eric, the, the, the sequel to Chariots of the Gods has. Chariots him- of Fire. Chariots of Fire, rather. You're right. <laughs> um, he's in a Japanese concentration camp and he his faith keeps him going. They made a movie about it and they left the faith mostly out. And that was made by faith people. It gets even worse when you find out the people who made so- the film. They were kind of too cool to go there. I don't know. I didn't see that film. I can't comment on it, but I'm sorry to hear that. I'm telling you, you don't have to. But you have to see Nefarious. Now, Nefarious, the way I would describe it is, any of you have read the Brothers Karamazov, the scene of the Grand Inquisitor, where Christ is arrested by the head of the Spanish Inquisition and is interrogated by him in the over the course of like 30 or 40 pages. That's what this reminded me of. The whole, almost the whole film is a dialogue between two characters. And that's very clever in terms of filmmaking because it's not super expensive as long as you have really good actors. And it puts a lot of pressure on the actors. And these two actors were fantastic. They are a secular liberal psychiatrist, um, your average secular humanist, woke humanitarian, the kind of person who might say, I, I'm i a rational altruist. Uh, you know, I try to calculate that the things that I do will diminish unhappiness in the world uh, against a serial killer who's about to be executed. He's about to receive the death penalty. And uh, the thing is, the serial killer seems to believe he is possessed by a demon. And it's the psychiatrist's job to, to evaluate whether this person is is mentally cogent enough to be executed. Because if you are delusional, if you are in a psychotic break or schizophrenic episode, the state can't put you to death. You have to be cogent in order to receive the death penalty, which I think is an interesting leftover of Christianity in our legal system. Oh, that's right. We want people... We, we don't want to execute people who can't understand why they're being executed and can't see the justice of it. We're not just putting down a mad dog or euthanizing a defective unit of the population the way the Nazis would have. We we are enacting, we're using the sword that God gave Caesar to enact divine justice on earth. And that's why I think capital punishment is so important and why Christians need to stand by it and why it's almost guaranteed a country that abolishes the death penalty will legalize abortion. It's almost guaranteed because if you won't kill the guilty, you will kill the innocent because fallen man is a killer and he's going to kill somebody. And if you're not going to kill the guilty, it will be the innocent. And that seems to happen country after country after country to, to explain it more rationally. If you decouple justice from consequences uh you decouple life the question of life from the question of justice the innocence of an unborn child 
and the guilt of a convicted murderer are both major facts. They're really important moral facts. And if you're going to ignore the moral fact of a, a convicted killer, that he has earned the death penalty, according to God himself, according to the covenant of Noah, the first universal moral law laid down for the human race, never repealed by Jesus. Uh, if you're going to ignore that, you're going to ignore the innocence of the child in the womb, too. So that's why I think this raises the nefarious raises some very interesting moral questions that would be fruitful for good discussion. Uh, we're going to hit pause. Plenty more with John Zmirak. Don't go away. Folks, we are talking to John Zmirak about the film opening in theaters this weekend. Got to see it. Nefarious. Uh, OK, continue, please. Sure. So I was saying that it, it's the question of the death penalty is a really important one. And I was critical of Pope John Paul II when he said the state should not execute anyone if it's possible to keep them locked up for, for life. To, to, because the only justification for the death penalty is protecting society. That's wrong. That's one of the justifications. The other one is enacting divine justice. Pope Pius XII, who was the most lucid pope of the 20th century, he said the state is the legitimate avenger of crime. The legitimate avenger of crime. And we're, when, we, when it says in the Bible, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, that's true. But that happens through the state, the sword, which God did not give Caesar in vain, according to St. Paul. So when the state imprisons a criminal or executes a criminal, that is the Lord's vengeance being enacted on this earth. That is a good thing. That's something we as Christians should affirm. That is something we must cling to because a society without justice is a society like New York where the district attorney can turn loose violent criminals, but can prosecute a former president because he doesn't like his views. Where criminals walk the streets, the only way to go to prison is to be a law-abiding citizen who has a gun. You actually had a, a your district attorney in New York prosecuted someone for defending himself. He was attacked by somebody with a gun, took the gun away and, and shot the person attacking him. Your DA, Alvin Bragg, tried to send the victim to prison for attempted murder with an unregistered firearm. The gun he took from the guy who was attacking him. This is the same guy trying to send Donald Trump to prison for being a victim of blackmail. Once you take away justice, all that is left is power. And the state will abuse that power. Once it's uncoupled from justice. So the death penalty is a very good opportunity to talk about the most fundamental truths of Christianity and of justice. And in Nefarious, Steve Dace, who's an amazing writer and a great, very lucid thinker, one of the best TV commentators around, 
Um, he wrote a novel that this film is based on. I don't know who wrote the screenplay. I don't know if he wrote it or if somebody else took the screenplay. But it is a debate between secular humanism and Christianity. But the, the voice of Christianity is a demon from hell. The demon from hell is making the case for Christianity. Not on purpose, ladies and gentlemen. We want to be very clear. It's just that the demon, uh, in being a demon, in being an actual personal figure of evil uh, who exists, speaks things that happen to be true. Uh, And you're dealing with uh, the interlocutor, this uh, very sophisticated uh, psychiatrist, is a secular humanist, is an atheist who does not accord the spiritual reality any value. And so that's the genius of the film, of the dialogue, is to have a demon inadvertently helping this uh, atheistic psychiatrist to see a reality he's never acknowledged before. It's, it's just amazing. It's like, what a concept. Well, it reminds me of what C.S. Lewis did in the Screwtape Letters. The demons believe but tremble. The demons are perfectly orthodox. They know all, every jot and tittle of the Christian faith is true. They just hate it. So if you could interrogate them and force them to honestly answer, they would tell you the truth. They would simply say, but we hate it. Uh, most of the time, the devil is trying to blow smoke in front of our eyes and trying to confuse us. But in this case, uh, in this interview in the movie Nefarious, he is sort of inadvertently giving the game away. He, he, in, for some reason, he feels the need to convince this secular psychiatrist to openly cooperate with him and openly cooperate with the forces of hell in which the psychiatrist doesn't believe. Um, and so it and, and you get little glimpses of the poor, messed up human soul who was possessed. There are a few scenes where the wretched sinner is allowed to to to, to have his voice uh, as opposed to the confident, overbearing, sociopathic voice that rep- that is the demon. Um, it's really well acted. Uh, the, again, this this is something where everything rests on the acting because there are no special effects. There are only one or two sets. Um, it's all in an interview cell on a in a supermax prison on death row. And the acting really does bear it up. The acting carries it through. I mean, this this these actors deserve awards for what they did in this film. It's not uh, it's just not something you see every day. Uh, to see an actor giving voice uh, to what purports to be the demonic uh, and then that actor giving voice to the actual character, not the voice of the demon, uh, to be able to go back and forth and make it believable, um, it's it's really well done. I mean, I just have to say, but the concept is brilliant. Uh, The concept of the film is brilliant. We don't want to give away too much again, but... uh, it's it's so beautiful to see reality depicted in this way. But anybody who's this is why if you if you know anybody who's not on the same page, doesn't matter whether they're some kind of a Christian or not a Christian, bring them to the film just as yeah. a film and and just to see what their their take is on it. Because I, I think, think that 
I think college students should absolutely see it and mature high school students. For some reason, it's rated R, even though there's very little violence or profanity. It should not be rated R. It that's that's crazy. It is. I crazy. mean, it's not for little kids. Right. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't take kids to see it. But uh, any teenager is perfectly capable of uh, of seeing this probably film and probably it. should. Because your teenagers are being subjected to demonic influences in their public schools to the demons that tell them that they're, they might've been born in the wrong bodies. Yeah. Demons that are grooming them in their sex education and the drag queen hour. Your, your kids are de- dealing with demons almost openly. Uh, we just saw some, a woman is starting a church of abortion to hang on, hang on. We're going to go to a break. We will get back to that and other true facts with John Smirak. few minutes left with our friend John Zemirek. John, you were just making uh, a hard to believe point, yeah. but it's true. Unfortunately, please continue. Yeah. An embittered ex-Catholic feminist whose name I won't repeat uh, is starting something called the Church of Potential Life. And what it is, is it's a temple of abortion where women gather to affirm their right to kill their children because it empowers them as people. And it's made to look like a Christian church with fake icons and kneelers. And it's like Satanist churches. It's a direct parody of Christianity. And it shows you the parasitical nature of evil. I think the, it's important, and I'm going to have to write a column about this, why we, we need to talk and call out the demonic spirits behind the things like this that we see in right, the culture, right. behind transgenderism, because when we're dealing with individual confused sinful people, we need to be understanding and compassionate. That can lead us to be weak and squishy on the actual evils if we're not careful. Very good point. What we need to do is focus on the demonic, ageless, sexless, rationalistic, hateful spirits who are behind these evils. And we're not supposed to love those sinners. We're supposed to hate that sin and hate those sinners. The demons in hell, we're not supposed to love them. We're not supposed to offer them any compassion. And we cannot offer any compassion, any quarter, any sympathy, any collaboration, any understanding, any form of collaboration whatsoever with the demonic forces of destruction that have been unleashed on our country and our culture. We must fight them the way our ancestors fought the Nazis and Normandy. That's part of what is happening right now, which which makes me think that we will uh, come to revival and reformation because the demonic is becoming more obvious. And I think more Christians are seeing that and writing about it. Obviously, uh, Jonathan Kahn in his book, Return to the Gods, uh, our friend Greg Locke in making a documentary about deliverance and exorcism. Uh, everywhere you look, increasingly, you're seeing signs that people understand there is demonic evil that is behind what we are dealing with. And that's good news, folks, because unless you recognize it and deal with it, as John just said, you cannot defeat it. Drag queen story hour straight from the pit of hell. Abortion rights, 
abortion, chemical abortions being sold at CVS straight from the pit of hell. No sympathy, no compassion, no understanding for those profound evils and the people who make money or gain political power from them. We must be understanding and kind and compassionate to our fellow sinners who are victims of these evils. But the evils themselves, not one bit of quarter. I, I just heard a debate. Some some Christian was 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 agonizing over whether to allow people who insist on wearing drag to 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 be like greeters and ushers in a church. If they where say, did you read that? I don't, I don't want to say, but it, this is uh, someone I know, and, and the church is saying, well, if they if they found Jesus. How can we say we can't say they haven't found Jesus just because they continue to dress in drag? If somebody finds Jesus, they will not wear an I love Hitler T-shirt. That's right. At church. That's right. And what I said was, imagine the sin we're talking about wasn't a fashionable one. Imagine this is a Klansman and he wants to wear his Klan hood in church. But he said he found Jesus. Yeah. Would you yeah. allow him to wear his plan sheets? Faith without works is dead, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to have to end it there. John, always a joy to have you, my friend. Folks, go to stream.org, read everything by John. Please take this interview from Rumble, share it wherever you can. Again, John, God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And go see Nefarious this weekend. Make this movie a hit. Yep. Welcome to the Eric Metaxas Show. Hey there, folks. I'm excited uh, uh, to talk to my next guest. We've had him on before. We'll have him on again. His name is Clifford Nichols. He lets me call him Cliff. Uh, Clifford Nichols uh, is a seasoned political commentator. He's been with the Heritage Foundation. He has a piece, I believe, today in The American Thinker uh, with the title, Is 2024 Only a Mirage? Clifford Nichols, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Erica. It's good to see you again. Well, first of all, I want to mention you you have a book out called A Barrister's Tales, One Lawyer's Memoirs of His Journey Toward Faith, along a trail called Life, A Barrister's Tales. I want to talk to you about that book uh, in the future. But today, let's talk about, at least initially, your new article uh, in The American Thinker is 2024, Only a Mirage. What do you mean by that, sir? Are patriots hoping for something that may never happen? Uh, We're looking to retake our country uh, or what it used to be. That sounds so insurrectiony. Can we even talk about that? Taking back our country? Uh, you know what? <clears throat> I'm just going to call an audible and say, yes, we can and must. <laughs> we know. We know. I talk about this all the time. So, so you're saying, is that only a mirage? Why do you ask that question? Well, because I believe that the opposition, in the words of Davis, uh, Victor Davis Hanson, uh, in a recent interview, he said, 
the left has now said under the under the pretext of protecting our republic that it requires any means to remove President Trump. And since you and I spoke, uh, of course, President Trump was indicted. But he's also the only president to be impeached after leaving and raided after leaving. And this indictment, whether it holds or not, we know that there will be more. Uh, they virtually announced it uh, to prevent uh, President Trump from returning. And so if we're putting our hopes in the 2024 election, we have to estimate that they are going to do whatever they can to prevent his return, whatever that may mean. Well, now, interestingly, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Two weeks ago, uh, Mark Levin, uh, who I am sure you know, uh, did a piece on life, liberty, and Levin. His opening was reading the Declaration of Independence with the acknowledgement that to do so and put it in modern terms as to what needs to happen uh, would put a crosshairs on his back with the FBI and put him on the top 10 wanted list. He says that. Wait, and just repeat that. Mark Levin on his program said to read, he read out, yeah. the Declaration of Independence. He read it out uh, loud on his program. Yes, as if it pertained to today. Right. And what I found remarkable about that was that in 2021, I crafted a, a document called the Declaration of Liberty and posted that on uh, the air. And it had multiple purposes, same as did the Declaration of Independence. One, to announce to the world that we're upset with the government that we now have. And two, to bind together patriots under a common platform, which is what the Declaration of Independence did with the 13 colonies. And then also to be used as a um, litmus test for people running for office. And you will find, upon reviewing the Declaration of Liberty, that it says very little much more than the Declaration of Independence. Uh, in other words, we want the rule of law. We want our Constitution back. We want our children back. We want our borders back. All to be done um, lawfully and peacefully. And for this interview, I posted an abridged version of it. Uh, sad to say that in today's environment, not many people want to read. Uh, they don't read much more than Twitter feeds anymore. And if it's more than a page, they don't want to see it. So the abridged version is available at theamericanlandscape.substack.com. The American Landscape dot substack dot com the and american landscape dot substack dot com and you can subscribe for free and read it through and if you agree with it you can transfer over and sign it but even if you don't sign it that version should be printed up and presented to people running for office and say, do you agree with this? Is this your brainchild, or was this something you did uh, via an organization? Oh, frankly, it was in response to President Trump 
asking Newt Gingrich and Lindsey Graham to draft a contract with America. And uh, when, when, I, when, when was I that? that? That was back in 2021. They didn't, said, they didn't do that. They did do that. They did. Yes. And with that, in, in my opinion, on my pillow, you'll get a good nap. Uh, it did not perform well. You've not heard of it. Well, I was going to uh, say, now that you mention it, I guess I've heard of it, but it's, it didn't, it didn't uh, find much purchase in the culture. No. Uh, and what I um, thought as an alternative was to plagiarize Thomas Jefferson. And the Declaration of Liberty does just that. Takes the language from the Declaration of Independence and puts it in modern All right, look, terms. The larger point you're making, very important, very, very important, is that we find ourselves today in America in an untenable situation. We find ourselves yes. subject to the tyrannous behavior of what is technically uh, our own government. It's unacceptable. We've got to do something about it. The question is what to do. But the parallels, I mean, I, uh, not only because of my familiarity with Germany in the 30s, uh, because I wrote my book Bonhoeffer, but I, I, I think that it bears saying that people, even before Hitler officially took power in 33, people like the great Dietrich von Hildebrandt, uh, the Catholic uh, philosopher and hero, uh, he knew that the people taking Germany over were criminals. They were genuinely criminals. Uh, many people didn't get that at first. Eventually, a lot of the people that didn't get it did get it, but by then it was too late. The nation had been taken over by criminals. That's effectively what is happening right now. When they talk about taking Trump out by any means necessary, they have abrogated the rule of law. It's obvious from the way they're behaving. The question, uh, Cliff, is how, what do we do about it? And one is to get unified. We have a lot of different issues. We have people protesting school boards, uh, state legislators, and it's fractional. You know, it's fractionalized. And if you have a unified platform, that is a statement that Thomas Jefferson used the Declaration of Independence for to state to the world, here are the grievances and here are the but, solutions. Okay, but obviously, uh, Cliff, uh, Jefferson was not some rogue guy. Jefferson was a group, part of a larger group uh, who had authority, uh, who were leaders, uh, not just in a movement, but many of whom uh, – were leaders in the colonial government at the time. We don't, it seems to me, have a parallel to that. Well, we do have a parallel to Nazi Germany in the sense that we do have known criminals who have taken over. Yeah. Now, it's not what just that criminals do? have taken over. Criminals have taken over and are currently behaving criminally. <laughs> and this yeah, is not like criminals have taken over, but they're behaving legally, lawfully. Uh, criminals have taken over and are behaving criminally. They are not behaving in accordance with our laws, uh, with with uh, with our constitution. Uh, obviously, but again, the question is what to do. And you say first thing we need to do is unify. They first unify with a common purpose, 
and that is don't let anybody run for office, school board, state legislature, anybody who has not read the Declaration of Liberty, a bridge version, and ask them to sign it. And if they will not sign it, ask them to explain why. And that will tell you all you need to know about that person. The quickest place we can find this document. Tell us again. The Declaration of Liberty is at uh, theamericanlandscape.substack.com. Theamericanlandscape.substack.com, where we can find Declaration. The American Landscape being one word, no capitals. Theamericanlandscape.substack.com to find the Declaration of Liberty. We'll be right back talking to Cliff Nichols. Don't go away. Some people go to church just to sit in the fly, trying to make a date with a neighbor's wife. Brother, let me tell you just to show you're born. You better leave that woman alone. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful at lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Just the other night, I was asked that question. Well, the owners of Relief Factor tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. That's right, designed to heal, and I agree with them. And the doctors who formulated Relief Factor for them selected the four best ingredients, yes, 100% drug-free ingredients, and each one of them helps your body deal with inflammation. Each of the four ingredients deals with inflammation from a different metabolic pathway. That's the point. So approaching from four different angles may be why so many people find such wonderful relief. If you've got back pain, shoulder, neck, hip, knee, or foot pain from exercise or just getting older, you should order the three-week quick start discounted to only $19.95 to see if it'll work for you. It has worked for about 70% of the half a million people who've tried it and have ordered more. I'm one of them. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800 for relief to find out about this offer. Feel the difference. My pillow is excited to bring you their biggest bedding sale ever. Get the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98, a set of pillowcases for only $9.98, and rejuvenate your bed with a My Pillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. They also have blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles. They even have blankets for your pets. Get duvets, quilts, down comforters, body pillars, bolster pillows, and so much more. All the biggest discounts of the year are happening right now, so don't miss out. They're also extending their money-back guarantee for Christmas until March 1st, 2023, making them the perfect gifts for your friends, your family, and everyone you know. So go to MyPillow.com and use promo code ERIC or call 1-800-978-3057, and you'll get huge discounts on all MyPillow bedding products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98, and get all your shopping done now while quantities last. Again, use code ERIC and save MyPillow.com. Hey there, folks. Welcome back. I'm talking to Clifford Nichols. Uh, He's the author of a book, A Barrister's Tales, uh, which we will discuss at some point. But right now we're talking about current events. Uh, Clifford, you have this uh, piece in American Thinker. Is 2024 only a mirage? You're asking the question, and it's an important question. Will we be able to take our country back? Because obviously the left... I'm. I said this and you said this, they're behaving like criminals. In other words, if we play by the rules of American law, uh, then it's possible for us to take the country back. But they aren't playing by the rules 
Uh, we don't really have uh, – uh, uh, we don't have a fair judicial system. It's a really horrifying moment uh, that we're here. Well, as, as Victor Davis Hansen pointed out, we are in the midst of our own French Revolution, a Jacobin re- Revolution. Right. And the people uh, in charge are the ones that set the laws and the boundaries. Uh, what is lawful and what is not. Um, the elephant in the room, as I um, wanted to mention, is the military that is sworn to defend the Constitution uh, against foreign and domestic insurrection. And the question is, uh, no matter what you and I do, no matter what anybody does, if the military is not on your side, you will lose. And that's a question uh, I took up in an interview a year and a half ago. And uh, the interviewer, said that the size of my tinfoil hat was uh, ginormous. And in fact, when I went back uh, to his uh, records, he had deleted the entire segment of his show in which I was interviewed because I said that. Because because he was frightened. People are very frightened uh, because uh, when they hear the truth— you know, they are – I mean, what you said – I mean, the whole point, obviously, uh, we're supposed to be able to have a well-ordered uh, militia. We're supposed to be able to have a militia. We're supposed to have – we have the Second Amendment so that the military, uh, some rogues can't just take over the country. So uh, I, I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure that uh, no matter how well-armed, uh, even if you're um – as well-armed as Kid Rock, I don't think that's going to help you if you're coming up against the United States military. And so my question is, for President Trump, do you have the alliance of the military if they go to drastic measures to remove you from the 2024 elections? I don't ask that in my article, but it's the obvious question. Does he have an alliance with a system that will allow them. I have no idea. To, can maybe you can answer that question? I think President Trump can answer that, and you know, I would I would think that General Flynn would be able to help him in that. Well, um, I, I guess the question is, who is the military? Because when you're talking about people like General Milley, General Milley, uh, who is extraordinarily silly and malevolent uh, and just fool, deeply foolish. The idea uh, that he is a general at this point and that that he speaks um, uh, oftentimes for the military and that you have other woke, deluded uh, men like that in our military, it, it really says everything you need to know. Something has gone deeply, deeply wrong in the U.S. military at this point. Well, I was glad to hear that General Milley announced his retirement this morning. Uh, in other words, he's getting out of town. Uh, before it shakes up, I would think. And what do you know, mean before it shakes uh, out? So you think there's going to be that this will be an issue? I think there's going to be more between now and 2024 that puts the question to the American people: How much further are we going to be pushed? 
I, I think you're right. The, the question, I mean, uh, and this is what I'm fascinated by in talking to you, is how, how can this play out? Because you're right. If criminals are taking over, uh, doing the things that most people listening to this program are, are aware of, it's scandalous. It's criminal. It's wrong. It's un-American. It's anti-American. Um, the question is what recourse do we have? You're suggesting that there are elements in the military who might be on the side of actual Americans? <laughs> well, I would certainly hope so. Well, we, no, I'm sorry. We know that they the exist. Diversity. We know they exist. The question is, at what level do they exist? I know that the rank-and-file FBI and the rank-and-file military are pro-American, but but the leaders, when you talk about people like General Milley and, and other profoundly foolish uh, anti-American uh, figures— That's the question. Well, and I don't mean to come across as an intentional insurrectionist. I mean to come across here as more an observer of events. I look at, um, I don't know if you've seen it on Telegram going around, is a letter supposedly sent by this Mr. Moschenko to President Trump to seek asylum in Russia because his this is the merchant of death that we released in exchange for that basketball player. Uh, do you remember him? Yeah. Uh, the merchant of death um, wrote President Trump, according to some, it is reported, suggesting he seek asylum in Russia. Okay, let me just conclude said, this segment by saying that strikes me as utterly preposterous and kind of stupid. But we'll be right back. Folks, welcome back. I'm talking to Clifford Nichols. Um, His book is A Barrister's Tales, One Lawyer's Memoirs of His Journey Toward Faith Along a Trail Called Life. But we're talking today about current events. Uh, You just suggested that uh, the merchant of death, uh, some guy that that we traded uh, for the the woke female basketball player uh, who was trapped in Russia, that, that he, that this guy sent a letter to President Trump, why do we care about that? Like anybody can because send a letter he to, was to, informing in the in this letter, he was informing President Trump allegedly that President Trump is scheduled to be assassinated. Well, who would doubt that? I mean, who would doubt that they would love to kill Trump? I mean, I am of the opinion that they. This is you know gets kind of creepy, but it that they weird. killed JFK. And that that is that's a thing. It's a real thing. Uh, And I so I have no problem with that. Um, But uh, it seems to me that. um, Unfortunately, uh, patriots are in a position where they desperately need President Trump at this point. Because he is the lightning rod for their heat, but also for his leadership and his seeing the issues. One of the things that is going to come across for sure, if he ever did retake the White House, is a cleansing of the bureaucracy of those when he issues orders, negate it down the way. And he will cleanse that, starting with probably Christopher Ray and Merrick Garland. Uh, 
will be out so fast that they'll only be fired, not hanged publicly. Um, I guess there isn't. Go ahead. There's another. Are we going to return to a system of justice where if somebody commits treason, they are indicted, prosecuted, given a hearing with due process, unlike some in the January 6th situation, and let the consequences fall as it may, if they're guilty of treason, which some are, in my opinion, um, let them be executed, which the Constitution calls for. Was Jefferson Davis executed? No, I, was, I don't believe he was. Yeah, I think so we just need to win. Prisoners. I just think we you need to win. I don't know that we need to, to, to execute them. I just, uh, I, I just think removing them. In, in any event, that's a separate conversation. The point is, by what means will we achieve the ends of taking back the government? You do believe, I guess, that Trump now understands what uh, undid – um, his first term and what prevented him from having a second term uh, and that he would be willing to go to war with that, that, that he understands what is at stake and that he wouldn't play patty cake with the devil and uh, hire people like those he hired in the first term. Especially in light of the fact that they have total disregard for our election process. So if we are hoping for a fair election in 2024, it's a pipe dream. That is my thought. And if that's a pipe dream, he will never be reelected, no matter how many votes he gets. Okay, so what do we what do we do about that? Well, therein lies the issue that this country is now faced with. It's very interesting. I, as I observe it, I don't see uh, anything short of a conference with the military and saying, where do you stand? Where do you stand? And I think that would be a legitimate question to ask. Uh, uh, who would be calling this conference with the military and with what members of the military? I think the military is probably I divided. I would say it would be President Trump would have to have that conversation at some point. His problem is that they would love nothing more than to arrest him for insurrection for even attempting it. Right. So it's a catch-22. Which way do we jump? I don't know. And I'm interested to see how others play this out, because it is where we've been brought as a country. I think most people are still asleep, and they they don't care, or they're somehow fatally resigned to it. So the question is— uh, if there are enough of us who do care um, to, to to do something about it, and then of course what that means, but uh, it it it's obvious that the the mainstream media has sold its soul, that uh, the medical establishment has sold its soul, uh, that many in government uh, have sold their souls. They don't really buy in uh, to the American vision. Uh, uh, anymore. So that's the question is how many of us do and, and what we can do about it. Well, the churches, that's number one. That's you. I don't know if you know, but I wrote a book called Letter to the American Church dealing precisely with this issue. The churches, in my mind, are actually the most guilty because, uh, as I say in Letter to the American Church, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the church is the conscience of the state. Uh, and if the churches aren't speaking about this, 
Uh, that, to me, is the key. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up. Well, if the churches don't start standing up um, to males competing in women's sports vocally from the pulpit, uh, mutilating our children, um, opening our borders, but they're afraid to do that for their tax consequences under 501 you're, you're, sing, you're singing my song, Cliff. This is what I talk about wherever I go. It is it is absolutely despicable and shameful. And there are many Christian leaders who are being silent in the face of evil. And God will and is judging them now if they don't repent of their silence in the face of evil. Because the things that you've just begun to mention, these are evil things. They're not bad. It's not a difference of opinion. There are terrible things happening. There are evil things that are happening. And the silence of Christian leaders in the face of this is just astonishing. The parallels to Germany in the 30s are unmistakable. Every single day, I notice it more. And I just, I, I, I can't believe it. But I have hope that because of the horror unfolding, people are individually waking up. People are leaving the dead, useless churches that are being silent in the face of evil and finding places. So uh, that, that to me, uh, is the hope. We've got a final segment coming up. I'm talking, folks, to uh, Clifford Nichols. Um, he's got a piece of the American Thinker, is 2024 Only a Mirage, and you can find him at theamericanlandscape.substack.com. We'll be right back. back. I'm talking to Clifford Nichols, um, and we've been talking about the Declaration of Liberty, which uh, is really kind of an updating of the Declaration of Independence. This doesn't mean that the Declaration of Independence no longer holds. It's that uh, what if we read the Declaration of Independence and we say, uh, this sounds familiar. Let's write up something similar uh, to declare where we are and what we propose to do about it. Is that fair, Clifford? Nichols? That is a fair synopsis. And I would suggest that going forward, patriotic Americans might want to use the litmus test of the Declaration of Liberty and have their pastors read it and ask them if they would sign it. And if they would not sign it, ask if you're going to the right church. You will find it set off in a prologue, a, um, a foundation. It is lists the rights we have. It lists the grievances, and it and it lists the solutions. And these are simple things. Give us our children back. Give us our borders back. Give us our elections back. Give us back the rule of law in our constitutional rights. And if that becomes illegal, Eric, you and I have got bigger problems. But can we imagine the cowardice of pastors unwilling to speak out on these kinds of things? We know that it happened in Germany, but in Germany, they didn't have the example of Germany. 
they were going through this the first time. We have the example of how this went down in Germany. I, I actually say the same thing with regard to my book, Letter to the American Church. I say, folks, give this book to your pastor. Ask him to read it. Ask him if he's willing to go along with it. If he's not, get out of that church. Don't spend one thin dime ever again supporting a ministry that puts its head in the sand when liberty is at stake. Because when liberty is at stake, everything is at stake. We could end up like North Korea. We could end up like China. We are swiftly moving in the direction of ending up like China, where we have no religious liberty. Um, And no religious liberty is much worse than merely not having religious liberty. It leads to the death of every other kind of liberty. It leads to the enslavement of American citizens. That's what we're talking about. That's what tyranny is. And so I say, I say this to people that uh, if you're not uh, prepared to leave your church immediately, if you want to give your pastor a chance to reconsider, and because there are many good men who haven't thought this through, they haven't heard what you're saying or what I'm saying, they haven't processed this, they need at least to be given the chance to process these things. But if they refuse, if they say, I'm not willing to risk it, uh, I insist on being a coward, although they wouldn't describe it that way, then I think people are obliged to leave those churches. Well, and as you well know, most of what is egregious about the current church is not so much what is said, but what is not said. And your book, Letter to American Church, I've read it. It is excellent. Have your pastor read it, but then do the second punch and say, now that you've read it, would you mind reading this Declaration of Liberty and signing it so that we know that you're standing with us? That's right. And if they do that, they read your book and they sign the Declaration of Liberty, you're in the right church. If they won't, find another one. Those churches exist, folks, because they invite me to speak and I meet these uh, wonderful pastors, uh, but... Most churches, they are not interested in fighting uh, for the things that we need to fight for, and that is really unacceptable. And if you support them, you've become part of the problem. Clifford Nichols, we will have you back. Thank you for your time today. Folks, go to the theamericanlandscape.substack.com. Get the Declaration of Liberty. Clifford, thank you. 